A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night that is not only happening in person, face-to-face with Mia Goth, but we're also doing a, a film festival, Collider Ladies Night, right now, which is a first, and it's very exciting. Congratulations on everything you've accomplished, but in particular right now, we're celebrating Pearl, and you are something else in this movie. <laughs> Thank you. So I have not warned you where we start. We do a career overview, but the first order of business is to play a game called Dicey Questions. Okay. Usually that involves a dice tower. The dice tower is not with me. So I have eight questions here. You pick three numbers and whatever questions they correspond to, that is where we start. All right. I I promise they're harmless. All right, so what's your first number? Uh, Three. All right, I like this one. This one is never again. What is something you did for a role in the past that now makes you say, I'm really glad I tried that at a point, but I don't ever have to do that again? Uh, when we were filming X, uh, just after we, uh, you know, shot the, 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 the porno and we were kind of all, like, just chilling out, having some beers, playing guitar, uh, we had some uh, bologna sandwiches that were part of uh, the scene. And I decided to eat one of those, and I didn't really think through the fact that I was going to have to then eat bologna sandwiches for the rest of that scene. And because there were so many people involved, there was a ton of coverage taking place, and it just ended up being a massive scene. And I just, I felt like bologna at the end of it. And I'm yes. just glad that I never again have to eat a bologna sandwich. That is very understandable. That makes we play a game called Would You Rather sometimes, and one of the questions I always bring up is. Would you rather have to eat in a scene or run in a scene? Yeah, yeah. Which would you pick? Run in a scene. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough, especially after the bologna uh, sandwich experience. I understand that. What is your second number? Eight. This is my favorite one. This is my new obsession that I have to ask everyone, apparently. This is zombie apocalypse team-up. So... There is a zombie outbreak on the sets of X and Pearl. I need to give you more people to play with here. There's a zombie outbreak. You can pick two co-stars to team up with to give yourself the best chance of surviving. Who do you pick and why? Uh, who would I pick? Uh, I guess Brittany Snow, uh, because 
she has a way of kind of flipping any situation on its head and just uh, making everything feel okay. And I think you would need that in that sort of situation. And uh, Scott Mescudi, because um, who wouldn't want Kid Cudi there with you whilst dealing with that sort of situation. Fair enough. You had a lot of people to choose from, but I think you settled on the right two there. All right, we've got one more pick. What is your last number? Uh, one. Number one is high-low. Can you give us one audition high and one audition low and tell us what you learned from that low? Oh, gosh. Um, one audition high? Um, probably at the top of my m mind when I auditioned for a movie called Marabone a few years back with my director and I met Sergio there and it went so well that he ended up giving me the job on the spot. So that was pretty great. Uh, an, an audition low, I mean, there are lots of those. Um, gosh, um, uh, probably, you know, just auditioning and just for bizarre things, like a Catwoman, like where you're, where you're, not the act, not that, but like when you're auditioning for, um, oh gosh, what's it? She was a model during the day and then she became a leopard at night and just like getting into the things like that and it was just um, quite bizarre. I mean, honestly, I kind of want to see that now. <laughs> They never I don't know made what that, that is, movie. but I want to watch it. <laughs> um, let us get into the meat of it. Every Ladies' Night conversation begins here. What was the movie, the performance, or personal experience that first made you say to yourself, I have to be an actor and nothing else? Um, gosh, I mean, it's not just, it wasn't just one performance or, or one film that made me decide to, to, to become an actor. It's sort of what I always wanted to do from, from, you know, from a very early age, when I used to live in Brazil and, and, and I lived with my grandma, she's an actress out there and she used to take me to sets and that was probably my first experience of a film crew and, and what that energy is like and really from that point onwards I was always kind of felt like that's, that was going to be the path for me. So you have that dream, but I know that modeling came first, and I was reading that you were first discovered at 14, but you started auditioning at 16. So I was wondering, was there ever a point when you thought modeling would be the primary career, or did you always know you were going to go the acting route eventually? No, if the modeling was, was great at the time. It was great to, to have a little bit of pocket money. It was great to, um, you know, get it a little bit more comfortable in front of a camera and, and understanding what, like, a you know, just how to work with a group of people in, in, in that capacity. Um, but acting was always something that, uh, there, there was never any question which route I wanted to go. So I know it's really hard in this business to pivot from one field to another. So was there anything about going from modeling to acting that helped and hurt when you started to audition for films and shows instead? Not really. Um, if, if anything, it, uh, having that modeling experience was... Uh, was a tool that was, was very useful just, uh, like I said, to get a little bit more comfortable in front of the camera and, and uh, but you know, honestly, like, I didn't really do a ton of modeling. I, I tried, but it, it never was very, I was never very successful at it. It was only really after I started working in movies did I, you know, kind of start to work with, uh, I guess, uh, more esteemed photographers and brands that came later. 
Well, better off. You belong here in this industry. Don't ever go back there, please. <laughs> All right, your very first feature, we have to talk about Nymphomaniac. Looking back at that production, is there anything that now makes you say, I'm so glad that that set, those people, that material was my very first experience making a feature film? Yeah, entirely. Absolute everything about that film. I, I, I just, it, it just, it, it feels divine almost, if I can say that, just entirely. It, it created a blueprint for me in terms of uh, the kind of material that I wanted to work on with the types of directors and with that kind of caliber of cast. I was in incredibly fortunate to have that as my, as my first project. It really kind of set the, the field for me in terms of what it is I'm uh, aspiring to do. Oh, I have so many follows up, follow ups to that. So first, what, what did that tell you about the types of set environments and the stories you want to tackle at the time? What did that movie make the priority for you when you were picking projects after that? Uh, stories uh, that are exploring uh, people, uh, pretty simple, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. And not so much plot, plot doesn't interest me all that much. Uh, character studies, uh, um, directors that are, are, are interested in, in actors and, 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 you know, bringing out the best in them and uh, directors that are concerned with the truth and don't want to, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and that being, yeah, the forefront of, of, of what they do. Okay, so now another follow-up to that, and this is a, a kind of a big question, I apologize, but those were your priorities right after having the Nymphomaniac experience, but what would you say is the biggest difference between what you prioritize when picking projects to tackle now compared to back then? Is there anything new that's emerged as far as a priority goes that you just had recently? No, that's stayed the same throughout. Um, I'm, vi I'm very director-oriented. That's uh, the number one for me. And then it goes in, uh, to uh, character and then to script and to story and everything else around that. But to, for me, if uh, you don't trust the director who's leading the ship, then uh, nothing of any value, I think, is going to be made. Here's another would you rather question we ask a lot. Would you rather have to, and I think I know the answer now, would you rather have to sign on to a project without getting to read the script or without knowing the people you were gonna work with? Well, it, I mean, it, I think it, dep it depends on the director. It, uh, seriously. That's your answer, though. You need to know the people you're working with. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you've worked with some of the best of the best directors out there. Can you give me an example of two directors you've worked with that have like the most polar opposite ways of working with actors where they've given you like the widest possible range of experiences? Yes, but I think, I, I, I actually think the best directors um, are all quite similar in their approach. I, I, I think the best directors uh, aren't afraid to give up control. Uh, the best directors uh, don't try to micromanage or control their actors or anyone on, on, on set. You know, the, in, in some ways the director's job is, kind, is everything leading up to set. He, the director is the one um, bringing everyone together and picking costume designers and makeup artists and production designers and so on. And then, you know, trusting them to do their job. And if the director um, has faith in these people, I think that's where uh, real magic can happen.
Okay, so to kind of uh, flip that around a little, when you wind up on a set where a director is micromanaging or not necessarily working in a way that's conducive to your own process, what can you do to still deliver your best possible work, but also, you know, keep a positive atmosphere on set? Because I think it's one of the hardest things to do. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh... <sighs> What can you do in a, in a situation where the director is micromanaging you and, and what can you do to keep, keep the set still a positive place? I feel like I just well, asked you an impossible question. No, no, I think, you know, sometimes, sometimes sets aren't necessarily quote-unquote just positive. You, you know, sometimes sets have to, uh, that there is a little bit of friction sometimes on set, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think, uh, you know, good ideas can come from that. Sometimes when you, uh, you know, uh, clash with somebody, when maybe, maybe with a director's idea or approach, I mean, yes, you can try it, and sometimes uh, the director might be right, but, uh, you know, other times it, it's good to, 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 to voice your opinion and what you think the character would, would do in that instance and not just um, and not just do what the director wants you know it's um, by the time you get to set you should have full ownership of your character again my head is exploding with follow-up questions because when you're first starting out especially I know it can be hard sometimes to have the courage to speak up so do you remember the very first time that happened and you not only spoke up but recognized that your voice was being heard in a positive way yeah yeah that's definitely not something that happens day one of being on a set that's that that comes with with time um, and I didn't do that at all on, on Nymphomaniac you know I was just just very grateful to be there and I didn't have anything to say to Lars von Trier like that that wasn't lost on me um but but maybe um uh, with my next film on the survivalist uh that was probably the first time that I started to to voice my own opinions or you know at times concerns about a certain situation or approach to a scene and uh you know Stephen Fingleton the director of the survivalist who is incredible and and um, I don't think he gets enough recognition uh for 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 uh, what he does but um you know there there were moments where we really clashed and uh they got quite tense sometimes but you know at the end of the day if 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 the work benefits from it then it's uh it's only a good thing and, and you know, we, we move on from that experience and it's, it's nothing but immense love for, for one another. That movie was the first movie I ever saw you in. Saw the movie, I like wrote, like mentally wrote your name down. Whatever she's in, I'm gonna go see. Oh, that's sweet. I mean it. Um, I remember from Tribeca, whatever year that was, that was where I saw it. I'll also never forget the lengths that you went to to get into kind of that, that headspace and that vibe for that production. Have you done anything like that since or was that a one of a kind experience for the survivalist? Yeah, I mean, that's just how I enjoy working uh it's uh, being on set having uh, the opportunity to, to to be in a movie and 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 to to portray these characters is something it's 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 such a gift you know and that's not lost on me and so i think whenever you have the chance to to to, to do it again you you should give it your all and you know i never i never went to drama school so i don't really have any tools in my bag for that so that's that's how I know how to to uh, connect to a character and, and feel confident enough to, to get to set. 
So from my limited perspective, after Nymphomaniac came out, it feels like you added one project after the next, and they're all so like, specific to what I think your sensibilities are, and they're such unique films overall. But when you first start out in this industry, I know it can be hard to pick things that speak to you with the need to build a body of work. So after you finished Nymphomaniac, what was kind of like your guiding light in terms of taking enough, but also making sure that they were projects that were important to you? Uh, the fact that Nymphomaniac was my first film uh, really just set the stage for uh, the direction in which I wanted to, to take my career. Uh, I, and, and I'm very thankful that uh, Nymphomaniac was my first movie because, uh, y you know, I never wanted to compromise... Uh, um, I never wanted to compromise on, on the type of films that I was doing from... from what am I trying to say? Uh, Nymphomaniac... Uh, you know, it's with, it's with Lars von Trier and it's an incredible cast and, and I just didn't want to, to sabotage or dilute that with um, um, follow-up projects that didn't match that in some way or another. And so, you know, because of that, I've never, I've never taken a job to work for the sake of working. Every job that I've ever done has always been because I'm in, in passionate about it and, and the character and the director and the script and, it's, and, and, and I'm very proud of that. You can tell, I'm not just saying this because we're sitting here right now, but you have one of the best filmographies out there. I can't believe how I can just like roulette, pick one of your movies, and know I am in good hands. Aw, thank you. I mean you. it. Um, one thing that still to this day absolutely shocks me is that X was your first lead role in a feature. My brain cannot compute that given what I had seen you do before, and it was making me curious. Is that something that you were thinking at the time? Was it like, like, it's about time that I finally got a lead role. Um, I mean, I, uh, it was, yeah, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. It, you deserve to think that at that point. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It, it was just nice to finally have uh, the opportunity to, to really uh, to dive into a character into, to, to that depth, you, you know, and... Um, the fact that Ty believed in me so much and, and, and wanted me to take on these dual roles and, and then with Pearl being an extension of that, it, 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 it was just, it was very exciting. This is a very special opportunity. It's a really special and unique opportunity. Like this doesn't happen. Two films shooting back to back and us getting two films in one series in the same calendar year really is something else. So let's get into Pearl full force now. The first thing I'm really curious about is at what point did you first hear from Ty that he even had like the slightest idea to make another Pearl movie? Um, I was in New York and I was prepping Max uh, X and uh, it was probably six weeks into my prep, it was around the middle of October, and he sent me a text message and he said he had, had an idea for a prequel. And uh, he, from, we FaceTimed that evening and he shared with me what he was thinking and that he wanted me to help him write the script and he, it was incredibly exciting to me. And you know, it was always a big maybe, there was always a, a strong chance that A24 weren't going to to, to agree to it, but we, we thought to ourselves that at the very least it would serve as an amazing backstory to older Pearl. Very much does. Um, what would you say is the biggest difference between the idea Ty had when he first messaged you and what we see in the final film? It's a lot more vibrant. 
It's a lot more... Originally, we wanted it to be a black and white film. And we were just thinking from a purely uh, practical point of, uh, point of view. Uh, you know, a black and white film was cheaper. We were just trying to incentivize A24 as much as possible to, to just let us make it. Um, but they weren't so keen on that. They had quite a few other black and white films out at the time. And so we thought, okay, well, let's just go to the complete opposite end and make it completely uh, technicolor, uh, uh, kind of this demented Disney's uh, sort of movie and it actually all worked out for the best because I don't think uh, uh, the film would be anywhere near as good as it is had it been in black and white. Just like the descriptor demented Disney movie. Like, I just want to see more movies that fall under that description. Um, what do you think it is about filming X before Pearl that influenced your performance for the better? Yeah, well, you, X warmed all of us up. It was, uh, you know, we'd been shooting for six weeks. We had already been prepping uh, leading up to X for maybe three months. So, you know, our relationships with one another between me and, uh, and Ty uh, and all the producers and, and, you know, costume and makeup, uh, we were all such a tight-knit family. And, and, and uh, we all just had a, a shorthand with one another by the time we wrapped. And we just, we, we just, it was just a, we just, it was, it just really worked, you know? And so by the time we started prepping Pearl, um, you can see that. You, you, there's a reason why certain directors and actors in, within the industry keep uh, gravitating towards one another because it really speaks to the work and, and there's something that, some, something comes from that and, and uh, it's special. I know you said earlier that there's a constant between all the directors that you've worked with, but what is something about Ty's approach to directing that makes him unique and might make you keep coming back for more in the future? Yeah, I, I mean, I just think the scale with which uh, he's envisioning all of these worlds, there's, that's really quite unparalleled. The fact that he can go from this 1970s Americana to, uh, um, independent cinema type of movie and then, and then jump, you know, 50 or so years back to... 1918 and create this entirely different world, you know, but and, and equally as uh, 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 equally as uh, just uh, incredibly just sucks you in, you, you, you know, but he's just so skillful at that. I feel like that description applies to his filmography overall, and it's why I keep coming back to his work, because all of his movies have a foot in genre, but they all feel so incredibly different. He just jumps from one thing to the next so seamlessly, and he's been doing it since House of the Devil. Mm -hmm. It's really something else. How long did you have to shoot Pearl? We shot Pearl in four weeks. Yeah, God. it was six-day six weeks. I imagine everything uh, six has... Day, yeah, six-day weeks. I imagine everything has to be planned out to a T to get everything you need, but... I guess maybe I should warn people so you could speak about this freely. We are going to put a spoiler warning up so you could reference whatever scene you want at this point. But which scene would you say changed the most from script to set where you were only able to find that special spark in the moment when you were working with your scene partners? Mm. Uh, probably uh, the monologue, I would say, and, and that the entire scene that um, bookends that with uh, us walking in with, and getting the lemonade to, to right at the very end where I'm chasing after Mitzi. That whole uh, sequence, yeah, I mean, you can rehearse and you can go over your, your lines as much as you want, but until you're there on the day, you, you can't ever really know how that's gonna turn out. How many times did you do that? <laughs> um, 
Not many. Maybe... Maybe like five, six times. It's a big monologue. It still sounds like a lot to me. <laughs> was that the scene that you kind of like circle in red on the shooting schedule and say that's the most intimidating one? Yeah, absolutely. And Ty scheduled that for the last day of our shoot, which uh, was great actually, because all of that, uh, the intensity that came from shooting and the exhaustion that we felt um, really influenced uh, the delivery of that monologue on the day. That monologue is something else. I know the Academy needs to be more open-minded to include more genre films, but that's, I genuinely mean this, that's the type of clip that plays when someone gets an Oscar nomination. Mm. And if I was in charge, take it, take <laughs> it, I mean it. I love hearing about like the random unexpected magic that happens in the moment. So was there ever a day on set when things weren't going to plan, but you guys figured out a creative way to pivot and a scene turned out better off for it? Uh, probably the very last scene that we shot, uh, where, you, you know, it's the... Ty always had this idea of it being a freeze frame on my face, and it was just a very difficult day in general, and we were running out of time, and we ended up shooting that, uh, uh, that was just one take, and we only had one chance to do it, and that was never the plan to, for it to, to go on for as long as it did, but I, Ty decided to keep rolling, and then I just decided to go along with it, and then... And then that came about. I don't know if this is me overthinking it, but like what, what is going through your mind playing Pearl when you're staring dead into a camera? Because that's not just like a quick shot of you. That is something that, you know, the emotion evolves and it pours out. So what do you have to be thinking in that moment? Yeah, it's, it's not so much thinking in that situation. I, th I think if uh, you can get into trouble as an actor if you start thinking uh, like that when, 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 you're, when you're on set. Um, it's more, it's, 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 it's just a feeling and, and, and you kind of, you, uh, you, you, you kind of black out a little bit. You don't really know what's going on. You kind of just hope, you kind of just lose yourself in it and, 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 uh, and then you, and then you go for it. Sometimes the director will ask, oh, can you do that again? But you don't really know what you did and, but, so it was similar, it was a similar thing in that. That shot is absolutely epic. Honestly, one of my favorite shots of the I couldn't believe when that's like the movie ended and then that's what we got after. I felt like it was an extra treat that we shouldn't have gotten, <laughs> but it was absolutely fantastic. Um, it's a little more theorizing with Pearl, but what do you think could have put her down a different path other than her getting her dream and becoming a dancer? What, what could have made things better for her, if anything? What could have made things better for Pearl? Uh, had she uh, had a had she believed in herself more? Had no, no. I don't know. The answer might be might be nothing. <laughs> I always like to look at the, the, bright, the bright side and find silver linings, but sometimes I think about this with X and now Pearl is it's almost like a never ending cycle of, of a dream not panning out the exact way you want and us all being doomed to wind up as Pearl does in X. Yeah, I think she's just, um, more than anything, she's just a, a victim of her uh, surroundings, you know, had she been born to a different time, I think the situation would have turned out very differently. Probably right. What, what do you think she thinks, uh, where do you think she draws the line between right and wrong? Does she have any moral compass or understanding of when she has crossed a line? 
Yeah, I think so, very much so. I, I, I think she, she's fully aware when she, when she commits these acts and that they're wrong. Um, but she's a very um, emotional uh, person and, and you know, she lets uh, her emotions get the better of her, but she definitely has a, a moral compass and, and she knows when she's wrong and, and she, she has to live with that guilt and, and it's not easy for her. It breaks my heart so much. Uh, kind of going back to X a little bit, I'm curious your take on this. Do you think ultimately Maxine is going to come out okay, or do you think with kind of what I just described, that she is doomed ultimately to end up in a Pearl-like situation? No, I think Maxine is, Maxine is a, is, is a badass. Mm -hmm. She's gonna be just fine. She'll, she'll figure it out. That is what I like to hear. Congratulations. Congratulations on Pearl and everything you have accomplished. I meant everything that I said. I love your filmography so much. That's very sweet. Thank you so much. 